Okay. We continue our uh, Lenten examination of the I am statements of Jesus from John's gospel. I just want to clarify something for people. A lot of times people give things up for Lent. And uh, it's all very great that we all had to give up an hour of sleep this weekend. But uh, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. So, uh, but I do congratulate you all. Even if you didn't get it yesterday, you seem to have gotten it today. Uh, so uh, we're going on. Uh, as we're looking at, at uh, John's gospel... Uh, Jesus uses these seven statements throughout the book, the I am statements. And today we look at one of his most famous ones from John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. And I encourage you, if you've got your Bibles, open up. We'll be spending all our time in that chapter and looking at different uh, parts of it. I'll put some parts on the screen, but some parts you might want to follow along on as well. Just to uh, recap a little bit from last week, these words I am don't strike us so powerfully in English as they might. But in the Old Testament, remember, God's name that he said to Moses was Yahweh, I am, the one who is and who was and who is to come. And that name was so sacred that Jews would do almost anything to avoid saying it unless they were crystal clear it was at the right time in the right place. And so they'd substitute other words like Lord in its place. And when we move to the New Testament, despite what many Christians want to do, thinking the name Yahweh makes them sound knowledgeable, the New Testament never uses that word at all. That's a Hebrew word, and so it translates it. Uh, it doesn't use the word uh, Yahweh, it simply uses Lord or God. But Jews still carried forward that old habit of not speaking the name. And when they were speaking Greek, they had an easy way to do it. And we talked about this last week, but I didn't give you the Greek words for it. In Greek, you can say the I am, the to be word that has you in it. So Amy means I am. And that's a legitimate way, the easy way to say it. But if you really wanted to be emphatic, you could add the pronoun in front of it. I, I am. We don't have a way to do it in English. I myself am. Even I am the one you're talking about, and that's the way that Jews wouldn't speak. Maybe if you know Spanish, soy or yo soy. It's a little redundant, but it's a little more emphatic for who I am. Uh, Jews would never say ego e mi in most contexts because when they heard it, they were hearing I am Yahweh, and they thought it was blasphemous. So when Jesus speaks those words, it gets a reaction. And we saw last week from John chapter 8, when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, ego e mi, they picked up stones to try to execute him for blasphemy. And if Jesus wasn't telling the truth, they were doing the right thing. They were following their law and going along. Well, seven times in John's gospel are these really deliberate cases where Jesus says, I am, ego e mi, and then uses imagery to show us what that means. And last time, we looked at Jesus being the light of the world. Uh, he says it. It's true. He's God, and he's light. He enlightens our lives. This morning, a different one. Open your Bibles to John chapter 6. We're not going to read through everything in here uh, for sake of time, but as we look at it, John 6, verses 1 through 24, has the familiar story of the feeding of the 5,000. A great crowd out in the wilderness. None of them planned ahead. That's why John says it's a crowd of men. 
Uh, they didn't think enough. If they had had more women along, they would have had lunch with them. Uh, the men weren't prepared. They just went out. They're hungry. Look around. What do they find? One kid's lunch. And with five loaves of bread and two fish, the multitudes are fed. Great, great story. And it raised lots of messianic ideas in their heads that come out in the rest of this chapter. So their response in verse 14, who do they say Jesus must be? If you've got your Bibles open, John 6, 14, this must be the prophet, the prophet. God had promised through Moses that the Lord would raise up a prophet like him from among their brothers, and no one until this time had measured up. And here they see a man doing the works of God in the wilderness, feeding people bread as God once did long ago. Ah, surely this is the one. The prophet has come back after all, but Jesus knows that they won't receive this well. He knows that given the chance of someone who could give anything they needed was simply a word, they would force him to be king and keep him from doing his mission. Well, wouldn't you? If you had someone who could take a little bit of food and feed a great crowd, wouldn't you want to keep them around? Wouldn't this really be the true Affordable Care Act to have someone like this on our hands? Just send them to Jesus and the job's done. Security, you don't need to do anything. It's perfect. Everything we need when we've got that kind of power in our control. But God is not in our control. And Jesus would not have us live a perfectly satisfied, happy, fulfilled life here on earth only to die and go to hell. Their making him king would keep him from doing the work he really came to do. And so Jesus slips away, even going so far as walking across the water to make his escape. Now, verses 25 through 27, they figure it out. The crowd follows him, and we find these words. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. They look for Jesus, even going across the sea to find him, because they know a good deal when they see one. But Jesus doesn't simply rebuke them. He uses the moment to teach. Don't simply work for food that perishes, but for that which lasts to eternal life. Now, on the one hand, we know what's coming up, I think. But they respond in a way that at least shows they're paying a little attention. In verse 28... Well, if you tell us to work for this kind of food, what should we do? What should we do to do the works of God? They were listening, and they did respond, but they get an unexpected answer. Not do many, many things, but verse 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. 
This is what God's asking of you most of all. Believe in the one he sent. Believe in me. That's what God wants you to do. And with that, you'll have eternal life. A critical moment. And don't you wish the story ended with them saying, Yes, Lord, I believe. But instead, they acted like I would probably act, like you would probably act. Verses 30 through 34, they give a response. Show us a sign. If you're going to make a claim like that, you better be able to back it up. And so, here's what they say. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, who gives life to the world. Show us a sign. Are they being arrogant? Or are they being faithful? On the one hand, show us a sign makes them seem like the dumbest people on the planet. Why did they just follow Jesus across the lake? They'd seen 5,000 people fed with one kid's lunch. What more do you want? Come on. Sign after sign after sign, you've seen the evidence of who he is. But on the other hand, put yourself back in the first century and know that there were many others who had claimed to be this Messiah. There were many pretenders who had let people down. They wanted to be sure. Show us a sign. Ah, but it's hard to explain it too kindly because their answer shows that they are in fact looking for something a little bit more than that. Moses gave the manna to us. Jesus, you gave us lunch yesterday. How often was the manna given? Every day. Every day for that whole time they needed it, the food was restored. And by the way, Jesus, there were also some quail involved. Maybe we could have a little meat. You know, there's got to be something more than this. Show us that kind of sign, the sign that will sustain us for a generation. Give us something more. And Jesus pulls them back. You think that was Moses? You think it was God's servant who did that? No. It wasn't him. It was my father in heaven. And he gives you something even greater today. And verse 35 shows you the kicker. Jesus says, I am, and there are those words, I am the bread of life. Who gave the manna in the wilderness? Who gave the manna to the Israelites? God did. What's his name? I am. Put it in the language they would be speaking. I am would have been, was the one who gave the manna in the wilderness. And who is the bread of life? I am. You think it was Moses that did that? I fed you in the wilderness. I fed you for all those years, your fathers, your ancestors. I'm the one who gave this, and now I am the bread of life. Not simply a meal for today, but bread which sustains.
Is there any food type more basic to so many cultures than bread? It's a staple for many people. I know in America, we're all afraid of it because it's carbs. That just shows we eat too much of everything else at the same time. Look around the world and the food that fills up tables so very often in many cultures is bread. What did they have out there to feed the 5,000? Bread. Simple food. And when I lived in the dorms long ago before we had a cafeteria, what did guys eat when they ran out of food and they couldn't find a girl that took pity on them? Bread. Or ramen. Which is a form of bread. Right? It's grain cooked together. Pasta is basically a form of bread. Bread is what sustains us. It can keep us alive. Basic grains as we go. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am what sustains you. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. These words are emphatic in Greek. Will absolutely never hunger. Will absolutely never face thirst. But maybe we question that. We feel hunger. We feel thirsty. If so, we miss the point that Jesus is making. Yes, our bodies may feel hunger and thirst, even though it is God who provides our daily bread and sustains us. But he who comes to Jesus has his deepest hunger satisfied, his thirst quenched. Jesus says similar things. In Matthew 4 that many of us heard in worship yesterday, Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in John 4, Jesus tells the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Jesus is telling us about something much more than food. Listen to John 6, 37 to 40. Follow along if you've got your Bibles. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And now the point is so obvious that they can't miss it. Jesus used the words, I am of himself, He talked of himself being able to give eternal life. And now he's saying that anyone the Father gives to him, his intention is to hold on to them, to keep them, to raise them up on the last day, to give them eternal life. Things that only God can do. Things that God does for you. What should we do to do the work of God? Jesus says, believe. But look what happens when unbelief confronts Jesus. Verses 41 to 47. The Jews grumbled about him 
because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he not now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God, as was happening right then. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not everyone that has seen the Father, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. See, they understood what Jesus was saying. And they tried to dismiss it. They didn't like the consequences, even though the consequences that they were looking at were the small things. If we believe Jesus, it changes everything. If we believe Jesus, our life starts taking a different direction. If we believe Jesus, I have to come face to face with the truth that God doesn't love me because I'm a great person. God loves me Because he's God. He loves me while I'm yet a sinner. He loves me not because I add something to him, but because he changes my life and he does it for you too. Believe in the one God sent and he will raise us up on the last day. Jesus doesn't give up on those people. And in fact, he underlines it with full force. He says, John 6, 48 to 51... I am the bread of life. And there are those words again. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. It kept them alive for a day. Their needs were provided, but they still didn't have what they really need. And if Jesus were speaking this to us today, and he is, maybe he'd say, God provides daily bread to all the people of this world today but if that's all they consume they still die they have a blessing for today but God would give them a blessing forever so Jesus says this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die I am the living bread that came down from heaven if anyone eats of this bread, he will live together, live forever, and the bread that I, eat, that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus comes to this world not to put groceries on our table, but to put his body on a cross that lifted up as the sacrifice for our sin, he might satisfy our deepest need, fill us with his life, make us his people once again draw us to the Father give us eternal life now there's nothing impious or insincere about asking God for our smaller needs in fact Jesus himself tells us to pray to God for our daily bread he reminds us to ask the Father for what we need for our desires and to ask those things in his name and our gracious God provides according to his will for the things that he knows are for our good. 
but don't set your sights too low. God, help me with this little thing. God, give me lunch today. God, help me pass that quiz in Mueller's class. God, help me get home without too much traffic. Oh, God's there in all those moments, using us as we drive and as we study, especially for that quiz in Mueller's class. That's the little bonus for those of you who are here today. You know ahead of time. God provides all those different things for us, but at the same time, God would never have us lose sight of the big picture, for he comes to satisfy your deepest need, your need for a savior, your need for bread, which satisfies for eternal life. And Jesus, who gave his body for you, is your bread of life, the great I am, the one who feeds us now and eternally. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, living bread from heaven, you satisfy our deepest needs. Lift our eyes and fill us with faith that we may see your blessings. Show us again and again that you are ever with us, that we are safe in your arms, and that all we need is met in you. And then fill us with joy as we go out into the world, that we may show others the bread of life. In your name we pray. Amen.